when I was about 17, 18 years old, um, I was in the market for a car. Not much of a car, but I needed something to be able to get me from here to there so that I could get back and forth to, to uh, school and so I could get back and forth to work. And I, I needed some kind of a vehicle that would do that. And so my dad and I went out and we were uh, looking for vehicles and uh, looked in the classifieds and found a vehicle and went and we were looking at it. And I'm looking at this car, and this was a car that as a high schooler I was going to spend nearly $1,000 on. And so I was trying to decide, was this the car that I wanted to be seen in? Is this the car that, that I wanted to be seen driving? Did it have a, a decent stereo? And I'm looking at this car and evaluating from my perspective, whether or not this was the right car from me. And right about that time, this other guy comes up and he goes, hey, that car's for sale. And the guy who's selling it to us or, or trying to sell it to us says, yeah. And he goes, oh, can I take a look? And my dad says, uh, step back and watch to me. So I step back and I'm watching. And this other guy, he goes, can you open the hood and turn it on? Yeah, okay. So he opens the hood, and he turns it on, and he rubs the engine. And uh, I'm looking, and I have no idea what we're looking at. I mean, I'm looking under the hood of a car for maybe the first time, and it looks dirty to me. And there's all kinds of stuff everywhere, and I have no idea what's going on. But this other guy who's just walked up is trying to decide if he's going to buy this car. And so he's got the car running, and he's just grabbing spark plugs and pulling them out while the car is running. And I'm going, what is he doing? But he's, as he's doing this, he's going, yeah, because when you do this, you can tell whether or not there's uh, good compression in each of the pistons. If it, changes too, if it doesn't change as the engine's running, as you pull this out, then I'm, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. But my dad leans over to me, and he goes, that's how you buy a car. And I went, what? Because I was looking at all the wrong things. Right? I was looking at the stereo, I was looking at the paint job, I was looking at how would I look in this car, and this other guy was looking at the car going, is it going to get me from point A to point B reliably? He was looking at the right stuff to, to determine whether or not this car was a, a good car to buy, whether or not it was a good value. And he decided it wasn't a good value, and so my dad and I decided it wasn't a good value, and we all walked away. But if, if that guy hadn't come up, I would have been evaluating by very different standards. And that's, in fact, what James is talking about this morning. As, so if you'd turn with me to James, we're going to uh, repeat the last verse of James chapter 1 and then move into James chapter 2. James chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
if you remember from last week, we were talking about uh, being, he, uh, being doers of the word and not hearers only, right? That, that we would do what the word said and not just hear what the word said, not just believe, but act. This week, we're looking at how that ended, right? He, he, he ended with religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And now he's going to give us a practical application, an illustration of this. So how do we know whether or not we are doing what we are supposed to be doing? He goes, Here, here's, here's a, a way that you can know. Are you going to um, visit those who are in need, those who are in their affliction? Are you visiting them? And are you keeping yourself unstained from the world? Now, now here's, here's another piece to this. Don't show any partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't, don't uh, show any partiality. That, that's uh, to evaluate something based on its appearance and make determinations about it solely based on the face of it, what it looks like on the face, on the surface. Show no partiality. Here's, here's how you'll know. Are, am I showing partiality? If somebody wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor person comes into your assembly wearing shabby clothing, how do you treat those two people? And as I look through this, read through this, I go, you know, I, I don't think this is really a big issue for me. I don't know that I really treat people all that differently. I think I treat people pretty well the same. Just as uh, the first reading, that, that was my first thought. I think I pretty well treat people the same. It doesn't really matter about their appearance. I don't think I'm that judgmental based on appearance alone. And so I stopped and I st thought, okay, is, is this an issue for me? How, let me think back. And have there been any times recently that I have um, made judgments based on appearance alone? Well, actually, just last week, uh, Teresa and I were voting, and we were going through the voter's guide, the, the pamphlet where they, everybody has their picture and their statement of these are the things that we value and believe and all this kind of stuff. And so we're looking through there, and I'm looking through, and I'm going, okay, well, there's this, there's this candidate who I don't really agree with, and there's this candidate who I don't really agree with, and then I'm not going to vote for that homeless-looking man. I said that out loud to my wife. There's no way I'm going to vote for this guy. He looks like a homeless man. If you didn't bother to take a decent picture and look like a respectable person, I'm not going to vote for you. Then I pick this up and I'm studying for my sermon. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one and not the other, and I went, uh-oh, that's me. I should have at least read the guy's statement before writing him off. I, I think that actually when I stop and reflect a little bit further, it's not just what I'm voting. When I'm walking down the street, whether I'm walking down the street here in Wilsonville or downtown Portland, who are the people that I'm most likely to avert my gaze as I walk by them? 
And who are the people that I'm most likely to look at in the eye and smile and say hello as I walk by? And how do I decide that this person is the kind of person that I avert my gaze and pretend that I don't see them? And how do I know when it's the kind of person that I look at them in the eye and smile and, and say hi as I walk by? Well, it's got to be by what I'm seeing alone, right? I'm making those judgments solely based on my perception of what I'm seeing on the face. I've had no other experience with them. And when I'm in a social setting, it, you remember back when we used to have parties, social settings with gatherings of people you didn't know? Well, when that happened, who were the people that I was most likely to approach and start talking to? In a room of people I don't know, who are the ones that I'm most likely to go up to and start talking with? And who are the ones that I'm least likely to go and talk to? Well, the people that look most like me. The people that appear to be most like me, those are the ones that I'm most likely to go and talk to. And so as I started thinking about this a little bit more, I thought, man, you are really uh, drilling in here. He, he gives this, this uh, scenario. Let's pretend that a, a rich person comes in, and how are you going to treat them? They're well-dressed. They're obviously people of means. How are you going to treat them when they walk into your assembly, when they walk into your group? Oh, hi, it's very nice to meet you. Let me introduce you to all my friends. I want you to, hey, everybody, you should really get to know this guy. Hey, you should really know, get to know this gal. They're, they're really wonderful people. Introduce them all around, give them a good place to sit. Oh, we're very glad that you are here. Now what happens when a poor person walks in? Somebody with shabby clothes. Somebody not well-dressed. Not well put together. You kind of cringe? You don't really want to introduce them around to all your friends? Leave them off to the side? Why don't you stand over there? We, we wouldn't ever say that out loud, right? We wouldn't tell people, oh yeah, that's how I would treat a poor person. Because we know deep down that that's not the kind of person we want to be known as. But we also know deep down that our initial reaction is something closer to that than not. And here's James's point. At the end of chapter 1, he said, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. To visit those who are poor and needy in their affliction. We're supposed to go and visit them, be with them, go to them. Now he's contrasting that. And going, not only are you not going to those who are poor and needy and visiting them in their affliction, even if the poor and needy come into your assembly, you push them off to the side. What are you doing? You're showing partiality. Come on, James, back off, man. As my uh, friend David Thoman used to say, you went from preaching to meddling. 
He said he used to have somebody in his church that when he would start preaching, that, that the, he'd come up afterwards and go, Preacher, you went from preaching to meddling this morning. You started meddling around in my life, making me feel uncomfortable. Go back to just preaching. Just tell me what the Bible says. I don't need you to tell me how it applies to me. That's how I feel when James is talking this way. James, you're going from preaching to meddling, man. Back off. Because he says, if you take the poor person and you say to them, you go stand over there or, or sit under my feet. Sit, I'll just, I need a footstool. You can just be right here. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Haven't you then sinned? Impartiality? That is, by being partial toward one person over another person based on these exterior worldly standards, you have these evil thoughts. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, this is verse 5, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Didn't God say, I love the poor people? Didn't God bless them? Don't we remember Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 and in Luke 6? When he says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Behold, your reward in heaven is great. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. He says, look, we, we have a, a God who loves those who are poor. God is not looking at the external. He's not looking at the appearance of the person and saying, that is the kind of person that I would like to be with. Right? Like the guy who was evaluating the car, not based on how would I look driving this car, but rather, will this car drive? God is looking at us, and he's not looking at us going, is this the kind of person that my Holy Spirit would look good riding around in? I'm so grateful that's not his criteria. That he's not going, oh, this is the kind of person that I would really look good if I rode around in them. They're the kind of person that would really bring honor and glory to my name. Because I don't. Certainly not before the Holy Spirit was at work in me. And even with the Holy Spirit at work in me, not nearly as I should. 
But he says, but blessed are the poor. He looks and he says, you are somebody who I love because I love you, and you are exalted because I love you. And we look at the same people and go, wow, they are scorned. Glad to not be them. While God blesses the poor, we want to be like the rich. We look at the rich and go, wish I could be like that. I wish I could wear the clothes that they wear. I'd like to drive the car that they drive. I'd like to live in the house that they live in. I'd like to have the toys and tools and technology that they have. I'd like to go on the vacations that they go on. So that in verse 6 it says, you have dishonored the poor man. God loves the poor person, and we love the rich. God exalts the poor person, and we want to be like the rich. We have a problem. Our eyes are looking upon the poor, and we do not esteem them. He goes on in verse 6 to say, you have dishonored the poor man, and are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who, by so doing, blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Wisdom has a couple of different layers to it. There's a practical wisdom and an ethical wisdom and a spiritual wisdom, and we've been talking a lot about the spiritual wisdom, but even just practical wisdom here, He says, why do you receive the rich person more than the poor person? Isn't it the rich person who takes advantage of you? Isn't it the rich people that use their power and their influence and their authority and their resources to take advantage of you? Or is it the poor people that are doing that? Are the poor people taking advantage of you? No, they don't have the resources to take advantage of me. I mean, I'm afraid sometimes that when I see a panhandler and I give them money that maybe they're trying to deceive me. Maybe they're trying to deceive me. Maybe they're going to waste my money. I will give them my money and they will waste it. Maybe they'll buy alcohol or an iPhone or go on a vacation or something with my money and they will waste my money. Really? How much of my money are they going to waste? As much as I give them? If I'm, if I'm really generous, I might give them $100. Meanwhile, the rich people are the ones who are taking advantage of us and charging us high interest rates. And how much money are we giving them? And we're happy to do it. We wish we could be like them. And somehow we're afraid that when we give the money to the poor people, that then they will waste our money. But we want to go use it on the same things. Somehow if I give it to them, they would waste that money on alcohol or an iPhone or 
a vacation or whatever it is that they buy. But it's fine if I do it. That's not wasting it. It's my money. Just practically speaking, it's not the poor people who are taking advantage of us. It's the rich people who are taking advantage of us. A poor person isn't going to drag you into court. They don't have the resources to do that. So why are we befriending the, one, the ones and not the other? Are they not, by so doing, the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? When, when the wealthy do those things, when they take advantage of you and squander the, the money and, and try and uh, oppress you and take it from you, they're focusing on all the wrong things, all the things that God doesn't, doesn't care about. The prestige and the honor and the glory and all of the stuff. They, they're, they're focused on those things and, and blaspheming the name of God. And our tendency is to do the same thing. We want to be like them. We want to drive the nice car with the nice stereo. And we're not looking at what's going on on the inside, on whether or not it's going anywhere. Your car doesn't go anywhere. That's okay. I look great sitting in my driveway, listening to the stereo. He says in verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We, we do well if we treat our neighbors as ourselves. But if we show partiality, then we're committing sin. This is already the part where I've said, you know, initially uh, in my first read-through of this, I would like to think I'm not that bad at this. This isn't really a problem for me. And then when you look at it in the scale of sins, I mean, partiality, come on, that's not really that bad of a sin, right? He says, but, but if you show partiality, you have sinned and then therefore transgressed the whole law. You see, if I steal something, you would tell me that I broke the law. If I speed in my car, I broke the law. If I lie on my tax forms, I broke the law. If I hurt somebody or murder somebody or do any number of things, you would say I broke the law. It doesn't matter which one of those things I did. In any case, I broke the law. The same thing is happening here whether you committed adultery or you uh, murdered somebody or you showed partiality, you broke the law. He 
You see, this isn't really about being uh, rich being bad and poor being good, right? That's, that's not James's point here. It's not that rich people are bad and poor people are, are good. It, it's that my partiality is a problem. My partiality is a sin. That's the point. That's the issue that, that James is trying to raise here. Not that universally all poor people are good and universally all rich people are bad, but rather that I make distinctions based on whether or not people are rich or poor or whatever I am viewing on the face of things. That's the issue. That's the problem. That's the sin. That's what's going on in my heart. And when I sin, I'm breaking the law, the moral law of God. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Whether adultery or murder, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We, we, want, to, um, we want to recognize that we are transgressors of the law and God has loved us anyway. That God's not using the same standards that we use to measure things. But He's looking at our hearts and He's being merciful toward us. When, when we're looking and we're looking at the surface of things, we're just using the wrong measure on how we evaluate what's good and what's bad. Because if I'm looking at the appearance and going, this is the car that I want to drive versus this is the car that will drive, it's like taking a ruler and trying to measure the weight of something. God's going, that's not how we measure that. I'm looking not at the appearance of the person, but rather the weight of the person. Do they love me? So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. In Luke chapter 6, again, Jesus, this is where we read earlier, and Jesus continues on in verse 31, and he says, As you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil." Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. James puts it this way in verse 13 of chapter 2, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's better to be merciful than judging every time. I, I want to be discerning, right? I want to be correct. I want to be right in my judgments, and I want to, to judge things and go, oh, this is right, and this is wrong, and this is good, and this is bad, and this person is better, and that person is worse. And God says, nope. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Because we have all sinned, and we have all broken the law, and all require mercy. And so God gives us mercy. He gave His Son so that we might be accepted by Him. Isaiah talks about it in this way, in chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was the, the kind of person that there was no reason on the face of it to look at him and go, yes, that's who I want. He came as one who was poor. He came as one who was rejected, one whom uh, you would avert your gaze as you walked down the street and you passed him. And yet, surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came, and though he was poor and rejected, he took our sins on himself so that we might receive mercy. And now James is saying, because this is God, how, the way that God evaluates things, because this is the way that God measures things, and because even after having measured justly and fairly, God is merciful, and so mercy triumphs over judgment, that we also likewise ought to be merciful. Merciful. 